So we are finishing up this teaching series that we've called More this morning. We've taken a bit of a journey, and there's been some, some changes along the way uh, because of current events or necessity. Uh, we've talked about the idea that we want and need more hope in our life, and that the things we typically look to for it really don't bring it to us. And for hope, we need to go to God. We need more of God for more hope. We talked about more freedom, that is that the gospel calls us into a life of freedom out of a life of bondage, bondage to self, bondage to others, bondage to expectations, bondage to performance, and says you are loved and accepted as you are and are called into a new life on the basis of it. That is that you're accepted as you are, but called to grow, not on the basis of fear of others or fear of self or fear of God, but as a response to His grace. We talked about more life and the fullness of life that God offers to us. And we talked about the need for us to listen more to the people around us in response to uh, some of the tumult that was going on in our world. And we talked about the idea of being people who are known by being generous, having more generosity as a response to the gospel. And this morning we want to talk about this idea of healing, more healing. Uh, I am not an all-knowing person, but I would wager a lot of money if I had it this morning that every single one of us could use some healing. That there are parts of us, either they are front and center or they are deep down, that are fundamentally broken, cracked, severed. And so this morning I want to take you on a journey into pursuing healing or at least the beginning parts of it. I told you that after I'm finished preaching, uh, teaching, there'll be some times of singing. At that point I'm going to invite you to to move into the hallway uh, out of view of others and and to come uh, and to be prayed for. for. For many of you, That sounds scary. It's not. But I'm asking that the Spirit would give you just an extra move of grace and obedience and faith to do it. For some of you, it's going to hit you sooner than then. And so uh, Pastor Jim and Rach and Jess and uh, perhaps some of the elders are in the hallway now. and You just feel free to go on out whenever you need to go on out. Uh, You don't have to wait for an appropriate time to be prayed for. Every time is an appropriate time to be prayed for. In fact, we just pause and say, at any time, on any Sunday, you can grab an elder, you can grab a leader, you can grab uh, whichever pastor isn't up front preaching and say, can you pray for me? And it would be our honor to do it for you. Because we do it to each other. I've been prayed for. I've had the elders of our church lay their hands on me and pray for me. Uh, And so this is not something that is the gift of some for the rest. This is something we engage in as a family who loves each other and wants to care for each other. So let me start by asking you a question because I think this is sort of the beginning reality of entering into a topic that maybe we don't talk a whole lot about in the church today, healing. That is, what do you believe about the miraculous? What do you believe about miracles? What is our world's view of the miraculous things or miracles? The truth is, our world doesn't have a whole lot of space for it. 
And there's tons of reasons for it. In fact, the church, in many, in many aspects of the church, there are segments of the, of the church who are uh, in different ways. But many aspects of the church, certainly the church that I've, uh, parts of the church that I've grown up in, there's not much space for the miraculous. And I think a lot of things contribute to it. The first is, we live in a modern world of reason and logic and science, and miraculous things don't fit well into it. Thomas Jefferson famously cut all the miracles out of his Bible. You can go onto Amazon.com. I do not recommend it, but you can go onto Amazon.com and order the Jefferson Bible. And it is the Bible minus all of the miraculous things. Because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit the logical works of our minds. It doesn't fit science. I think a second reason many of us don't have room for miraculous is because we love control. And to admit the miraculous things of God means they are not in our control. And by that I don't just mean that we can't cause them to happen, but I also mean that we can't cause God to do for us what we want Him to do for us. And so it's easier just to be done with it altogether. Or maybe for many, there's sort of a sort of no room for the miraculous because we've seen the rampant misuse of the miraculous things in the church in our days. Uh, and I would confer with that. There are people who are making money off of purporting miracles for God and something is incredibly wrong with that. And there are people who have been shown to be charlatans in doing it. But what I would suggest to you is a little piece of wisdom that someone offered to me several years ago, and that is that misuse is never a good reason for no use. Misuse is never a good reason for no use. So while we can affirm that there are many who are misusing, in essence, the power that God offers, it does not mean for the rest of us that we say, well then, because they don't do it the right way, then no one can pursue it. And so for most of us, if you are like me, and you may not be, we have a theology that has plenty of room for the miraculous, right? But we have a practical working theology that has no room for the miraculous. So we say things like, could God do it? Of course. And then under our breath we say, will God do it? No way. God can and could, but He doesn't and won't. Because we like to say and and publicly affirm the big things of God, and then we live as if they're not possible. Friends, I want to just open our eyes. I just want to ask you this morning to be open-minded with me. To have a, a view, I think, that is balanced of what God does in miraculous ways. To have a mind that is open. You know, I, I remember a couple of years ago, my parents came to visit us, and my dad had just had a test done. Uh, it showed that his, uh, his PSA numbers were off, and that this could indicate prostate cancer. My dad was pretty shaken up about it, as anyone would be. And so they came up to spend time with us, and as they were leaving on the front porch, I, I said, Dad, I, <laughs> I, I want to pray for you. And I said, I want want us to lay hands on you, and I I want to pray for you. And we prayed for him. And we prayed prayed as fervently and earnestly as I'd ever prayed for anyone. This is my dad. 
you know. And um, he went home and he had to have a follow-up test and the follow-up test came back and his numbers were normal. And the doctor said to him, well, it's because you've been drinking more water because the test can become high if you're dehydrated. And so naturally, my reaction, I'm just being vulnerable with you, my reaction to that was, oh, well, that makes perfect sense. That's what happened. And I just gave it to that. I have no idea what happened. Did God heal him miraculously that day, or did he need to drink more water? Who knows? But in my mind, it's so close to the miraculous move of God that it's much easier for me to affirm that Dad needs to drink more water than that he visited, that God visited him on a front porch. And so this morning, I'm not trying to bend you towards some constant supernatural acting of God, but I want our minds to be open to the fact that God does, not just can, but does move in power on behalf of His people and ultimately for His glory. So, we talked about the atonement this morning. What I I want to do, I'm going to phrase it this way, so hopefully it's more palatable for you. This is what I believe about healing. It's what I believe about healing. Uh, and, uh, you know, many of you may not agree with me on this, and that's okay. Many of you may agree on some points, some other, that's okay. These are secondary issues, but I want to share with you, this is what I believe about healing. The first thing that I believe about healing is that it was a major part of the earthly ministry of Jesus. A major part of the earthly ministry of Jesus. He was healing people like crazy, right? He was preaching too, but healing people like crazy. In fact, any time in the beginning part of his ministry that people sort of began to understand who he was, he would say things to them like, don't tell anyone. He was keeping that message under wraps, but the healing stuff was going to the ends of the land. And so for us to simply minimize the ministry of Jesus into words spoken about a future heaven and not the reality of the kingdom coming to the now, I would suggest maybe isn't an open-minded view. So why did Jesus heal people? This is a fair question, right? I would suggest to you two reasons. Two reasons, well, three reasons really, but two main reasons and a third sort of underlying reality that I think we'd all agree with. Uh, the first reason is because he was God. And in Exodus, I think it's Exodus chapter 15 or chapter 19, God says to the people, I, the Lord, am your healer. And God healed people throughout the entire Old Testament. Healed the Israelites uh, from the disease that came on them when they, when they, um, when they tested God. Uh, healed them through the bronze serpent. You remember this. Healed Miriam of her leprosy. Healed, uh, healed all of these things, all of these people happening. So it would be natural when, when, when the image of God, when the Word made flesh comes to move amongst people, that He would do that. But secondly, I think the reality is that Jesus was in a very tangible and real and profound way offering the kingdom of God. And so if you want to know what we mean when we say kingdom of God, the best way that I can help you try to understand that is what would the world look like if God was in charge? And we say, oh, God is in charge. But if he was here and actually running the show in the day-to-day, 
how different would the world be? We have pictures of it, right? We have pictures of what the coming new earth and heavens are going to look like. Places where there's no tears. Places where there's no illness. Places where there's no strife. Places where there's no war. And so when Jesus comes to offer the kingdom, He's not just coming to offer an intellectual proposition that you can choose to believe or not. He's coming to say, I'm coming to begin to make the world new again. And what better way to announce that than to attack the spiritual realities of the world through casting out demons and to attack the sicknesses of the world through physical healing. See, the prophet Malachi said, when the Son of Righteousness comes, He will come with healing in His wings. And Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah chapter 35 that on that day, that is the day of the Lord, when He comes, the blind will see and the deaf will hear and the lame will walk. And in Luke chapter 7, verse 22, when John the Baptist is getting a little bit uptight with the timing of Jesus, remember John the Baptist has said to everyone, he's the guy. You follow him. I've got to become less. He's greater. He's the one you follow. I can't even tie his shoes. But now John the Baptist is in prison. And Jesus really isn't doing anything to move the agenda forward. He's just going around preaching and healing and doing these things. And John the Baptist sends his disciples John the Baptist's disciples to Jesus and and he says, how do we know that you are the one who we think you are? Do you know what Jesus does to respond to him? Quotes Isaiah 35. This is Luke 7.22. He says, how do you know? Well, the blind see. And the lame walk and the deaf hear. In other words, that's how you know that the kingdom is being offered and that Jesus is the one who was prophesied about and the one whom He claims to be. The third reason I think Jesus heals, and I just want to be tender with you for a minute, is because He cares. He looks and has compassion. We'll read a story in a few minutes in John chapter 5 when Jesus came upon a man. He said He looked at him and He was moved by a situation. And that that refrain happens often throughout Scripture. See, the kingdom has come already, but not yet in its fullness. And so is there perfect healing in this day? No. And is there universal healing? No. And is there always healing? No. But is it possible? Does it happen? The answer is yes. The second thing that I would tell you about why I, I, I feel this way about healing is because I believe in a bigger view of the atonement. I tried to lay that out for you earlier as we led into communion. That the atonement is not just God saying, okay, I dealt with your sin. I'll just kind of hang around for a while. And when you die or when I come back, we'll kinda, I'll give you a nice place to live. Right? He says, no, I'm calling you into a whole new way of life. It starts now. It's not going to be full. You're still going to have issues and problems and brokenness and strife and sin and struggles, but I want you to taste it now so that you can hold on to the end when you have it in its fullness. The passage that we read in the middle, Isaiah chapter 53, which is so, so famous. Many of you have heard it before. 
was pierced for our transgressions, that the iniquity of all of us was put on him, that by his wounds we are healed, is often and rightly so applied to the forgiveness of your sins. But there is language in there that also, I believe, leads us to believe that there is also the ability for God to act on your behalf in the form of healing. So I want to read parts of it again to you. This is Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4. He says, Surely He took up our pain and He bore our suffering. Surely He took up our pain and He bore our suffering. That word pain is a good translation. I think what it begins to allude to is that the healing that God offers is not just, you know, I have cancer and maybe God can move on my behalf and it can be gone. He's talking about emotional healing. He's talking about spiritual healing. He's talking about relational healing. He's talking about wholeness, about moving into the pain of His people. Certainly pain is embodied in physical suffering, and I believe there's possibility for healing there too, but it's bigger than that. This isn't a slap you on the head and lay you down so that we can have some big glorious story. Can that happen? I think it probably can. Maybe not in the circumstances it happens on TV. What I'm talking about is the atonement is big enough to begin to offer you a whole and full and healing life now. He bore our pain. And it says He took up our sufferings. Now this word sufferings is a very interesting word. Uh, It's the Hebrew word Koli, Koli, I get real guttural, Koli, right? Uh, and what's interesting is it shows up 24 times in the Old Testament. And 21 out of those times, it means sickness. Like physical sickness. And so what I suggest to you is there's very good evidence that this is probably better translated sickness rather than suffering. The icing on the cake for me is that uh, the Septuagint. Everyone familiar with the Septuagint? Probably not, right? The Septuagint is the Greek translate. I'm getting real nerdy with you for a minute. You're like, you read this stuff? I do. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm a nerd. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament that was used in the, days of, in the days of the early church, right? In the Septuagint, this is translated sickness, not suffering. It's a very distinct Greek word that means sickness. And so what I suggest to you is, I think an even better translation of this verse is that He bore our pain and He took up our sickness. In fact, in Matthew chapter 8, you can turn there if you want or or check it out later. Here Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. So Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. The town gets word of it. He heals her, and not only does he heal her, but she moves right in to serve them. That is, that she has full function of her body after that. Town hears about it, says, everyone's coming to him to pursue healing. And this is what Matthew writes in verse 17. All of this happened to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, that he took up our infirmities or sicknesses and bore our diseases. So Matthew quotes the Septuagint translation of it and says that the physical healing 
of Peter's mother-in-law and all the people of the town who came fulfills what Isaiah prophesied. So I would suggest to you, maybe in a very technical way, that what Isaiah is talking about here and therefore God is talking about is that the atonement is big enough to offer healing in the physical state of our being. Moreover, he goes on to say that by, my wound, by his wounds you were healed, right? And a couple of verses later in Isaiah 53. And Peter picks this up in his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He says that by his wounds you were healed. And when he, when he takes that, he translates it with the Greek word iathete. Uh, and it means physical healing almost all of the time. So I believe the disciples of Jesus and the people in the early church fully believed that the idea that there was healing in the atonement was not only true, but real. Does the atonement work to solve our sin problem? Yes. And we praise God for it. And if that was all he did, it would be the greatest news ever. But the grace of God abounds. The third thing that I would want to suggest to you this morning is I believe that healing was a huge part of Jesus' ministry. Therefore, I believe it still exists. Secondly, I believe that there's healing in the atonement. There's a bigger view of the atonement. But the third thing that I want to suggest to you this morning is that God heals according to His will and for His glory. Right? So I want to use this phrase with you. We should pursue God in terms of healing with great expectancy, but with zero assumptions. Great expectations and zero assumptions. Because God cannot be manipulated by human means. We do not use Him to accomplish for us what we want. I've told you that I've struggled with anxiety most of my adult life. I've prayed about that. I've had the elders of our church pray over me for that. It still is here from time to time. Right? I can't manipulate God to do what He wants to do. The Old Testament reminds us that God's ways are greater than ours. We can't understand. As we can begin to, to view a life where if He would work for us in a certain way, man, this would be great and I could do all these things for you and your glory would be known to the world, but His ways are bigger. He knows how to pursue His own glory. And so sometimes the answer to our, our earnest and expectant seeking of God is a painful wait. I believe that God never answers your prayer of healing with a no. Never. Why? Because He promises that even in your ultimate demise through your physical death, you are brought into full healing. But sometimes, in fact many times, it is a very painful wait. (laughs) Wait. Wait. But we trust Him. His ways are bigger than ours, that He knows best, that He'll get the most glory because what He does promise to you, even in the midst of a wait answer, is your daily bread. What you need for the next day. And He is faithful in it. So faithful. So as I finish this morning, I want to read this little story to you from John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Sometime later, Jesus went to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool which is in Aramaic called Beth- Bethesda, 
uh, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he said to him, Do you want to get well? Sir, he said, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone gets in before me. Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat, and he walked. What is going on in this story? Fascinating imagery happening in this story. Do you notice the language that he came in by the sheep gate? Did you hear that? What is the sheep gate? It's the place where the Passover lambs will be brought in to be slaughtered. This imagery is not lost on Jesus' readers, that the healing is happening in the place of atonement, right? It says that he had been sick for 38 years, 38 years of waiting, right? We're led to believe he probably either was dropped off and left for a long period of time or somehow every single day by this pool. What's fascinating about the year, the number 38 in Old Testament history is that it took 38 years for the, 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 the cursed generation in the wilderness to die off. And then it was the new generation who rose up who would take entry into the new land. Beautiful imagery going on with this story. He says, I have no one to lower me into the water when the water is stirred. We say, what on earth is he talking about? Well, Isaiah mentions that uh, there was an upper pool, Isaiah calls it. It's very possible that this is what's happening here. That every once in a while there'd be angelic stirrings in the pool and the first one in the pool would be healed. This man can't move. So he's dependent upon someone else to get him and put him in the water. Who's going to do that? Everyone elbowing for their space and room to be front in line. So Jesus comes to him and asks him this unbelievable question. Do you want to get well? Now, what on earth does Jesus expect him to say? Right? No, this is good. I like this. 38 years by the pool watching other people get healed while I just sit here. This is great. I'm going to keep on with this. Jesus knows what he's doing. Jesus wants to speak to him about the means of healing, not whether or not he wants it. What Jesus is about to demonstrate to this man is that he is greater than the angelic stirrings every once in a while of a pool of healing. That he is greater than the help of others to lower this man into the pool. That he can speak it and this man can walk. Can I suggest something to you this morning? How are you dealing with the issues in your life? You're going through a physical struggle? A sickness in your body? You might say, well, it's not a big deal. Okay. Maybe it's a really dire diagnosis. How are you dealing with it? Are you waiting by the pool? Depending upon others? Waiting for a moment? See, Jesus never condemns any of that. He never says, well, why would you wait by this pool? You could have just come to me, right? We're not saying, hey, don't go to doctors, don't take medicine, don't pursue all of these things. God works in all of these ways. Absolutely. But at the core of it, who are you trusting? 
Are you trusting your doctor and your medicine and your surgeons and your counselors? Or are you trusting God to use them in your midst? And do you believe that if He so chose, He could speak healing into your life in a moment? Are you struggling emotionally? Are you struggling spiritually? Are you struggling relationally? Perhaps this morning is a moment where you say, I don't know, but I'm going to step out in faith. And maybe Jesus speaks to you like the man at the pool of Bethesda and says, get up and walk, and there's a miraculous moment of healing. Or maybe today is simply about you having the faith to say, I know I've got a long journey to hoe, but I'm going to trust Christ in it. I think God will honor your obedience and faith in pursuing Him this morning. In James chapter 5, we are given, in essence, a protocol for how to pursue this kind of healing. James chapter 5, let me just read this to you real quickly. I'm running over time by a good bit. I apologize. This is what James says in verse 13. Uh, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them. They'll anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and it is effective. So, Jesse, there's a process that we want to give you an opportunity to enter into this morning. The responsibility lies on you. It says, is anyone among you in trouble? Is anyone sick? Is anyone struggling? You should go to the elders of the church. It's not incumbent upon me. It's not incumbent upon the elders. It's not incumbent upon your community group leaders to seek you out, although we pray that we will. It's a step of faith for you to go and to seek it. And then the job of the elders is pretty simple, right? It says the elders will heal you. No, it doesn't say that. It says they'll pray for you. That's what they do, right? That's what we do. We pray for you. We have zero power. I don't have special handkerchiefs or anything like that. I've got nothing about me that can bring healing to your life. Jesus heals. In Acts chapter 9, this is what the the apostles say. They say, Jesus heals, right? Not them. And in so much as God wills, perhaps He'll move in your midst this morning. So I pray that you would go with expectation, but without assumption. That in faith you would say, even as small as you think your situation is, 
or as big as you think it is. He would say, you know what? I'm going to step out in faith. I'm no longer going to say God could, but He doesn't. I'm going to say He could. And He might. And I'm going to seek Him. And you should be earnest and bold and expectant in your seeking Him and just as humble in submitting yourself to His will for His glory. In a second, I'm going to pray. And then Adam's going to come up. He's going to lead us in a set of songs. At least three, maybe more. Um, This morning can go on as long as we need it to go on. Someone will greet you in the hallway. There will be two places where the elders uh, are going to pray for different people. You'll be alone. You're not making any public statements. Uh, Everyone else will be engaged in singing. If God is tugging on your heart, even in the smallest way about the smallest thing, I urgently plead with you to go and to be prayed for. You'll be asked a couple simple questions. Do you believe that Jesus can heal you? Simple question. Second question, because he says you need to confess your sins. Are there unconfessed sins in your life? That is not followed by please list them to us. It's followed by you have a few moments quietly to confess your sins. And the third question will be, how can we pray for you? We'll anoint your forehead with oil and we will pray for you. Uh, And it will be our privilege and our blessing to do it. Jesus looks on you with compassion. And he'll move according to his will for his kingdom to go forward. Can I pray together?